0: let's pray so father i pray that you open our eyes our hearts so that we may understand you a little bit better I, I pray this morning that my words will become your words um, father just just help us to to uh, hear that whisper from you in your name amen so starting this new series on trinity Um, It's an interesting word, Trinity, isn't it? It's not a a Bible word. You won't find it in the Bible, which I find quite shocking. When I went to to Bible college, um, I'd been there about three, four weeks, and um, one day went went into town uh, and and speaking. I, I bumped into a Jehovah Witness, and everything that I had to say, they twisted, and they turned, and they said, you know what I mean, Trinity isn't... A concept in the Bible, you won't find it in the Bible. And I remember coming back to, to college and, and, and going to see, uh, one of the lecturers saying, like, I'm really struggling with this. Can you tell me the answers? You know what I mean? Can you just show me clearly in the Bible where Trinity is and how it works? And, and he just smiled at me and went, no, it's not in the Bible, the word Trinity. The concept is, but not that word. And he says, I ain't going to give you the answers because that's not what we're here to do. We're here to help you find the answers. So he says, from now until Friday, there'll be no lectures for you. I would like you to go to the library, and I want you to look at the scriptures and have a response to this, which I thought was very brave of him. <laughs> I spent about two, two days in the library going, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but since then, when it comes to talking about Trinity, when it comes to talking about, about Jesus, I have no worries about speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, I quite enjoy when they come round. Um, I, I love the fact that we live here, because in Worcester I was banned. band. Um, I used to have a 20-year band, so you had to be a Jehovah 20 years before you could speak to me, but they changed it to 40 after a short while. Because <laughs> they'd come and they would say things, and the first visit was always, oh, come in, grab a seat, let's have a chat. And I'd let them speak. And then the second week, I said, "Let's let's speak about Jesus and tell me what you think." They're never interested in in, in let you uh, speak about Jesus or or what they think about him, but um, but it doesn't come long. And I always wait for that phrase, and they say, "Well, you believe in the Trinity? Trinity isn't in the Bible." And I go, "Really? Oh, okay." (laughs) And and so so we go go through it, and and usually I get to the point where I say, "You know that bit in in the start of John? It in the beginning was the Word.'" I said, who's the word? And they'll say, oh, that's Jesus. I said, okay. And he, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And I said, who's God? And they said, well, that's Jehovah. So we got Jesus, and, and, it goes, and, the, and the word was with God, and the word was, and our Bible says God, but in their versions it says I, God. And he said, there you go. And he says, it's like, Jehovah's like big God, and Jesus is like just a little God. And I went, I'm sorry, but when I went to school, one plus one made two and you said you only believe in one God. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but in, in the Bible it says that the, the devil's a God. I went, now we're up to three. And you said you only believed in one. <laughs> and then I'd go through and then talk about how, how, how this concept of Trinity is actually all over the Bible. And it is. Right from the beginning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Because right at the very start, you can, you can feel the Trinity. You, you know it's there. The very first... Verses in the Bible. In the beginning, Genesis 1, one first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have God, the Father, in creation. We have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then when you get to John, uh, uh, John chapter 1, it says, Who was the Word? Well, the Word was Christ. And it's Him who starts, who does the creating. It says in, um, um, in Colossians, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, things in heaven have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Trinity, in the, in creation, you see Trinity at work. Going a little bit further in, in, in Genesis, you get to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the, the sky, over the livestock, and all, all over the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But do you get that first bit in the first verse? Let us make mankind in our image. Let us. Is God speaking to himself? Or is there Trinity involved? You find it in the New Testament. You find it all over the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament. Jesus' baptism, Matthew chapter. Uh, chapter 3 16 and 17 as soon as jesus was baptized he went up out of the water and at that moment the heavens were opened and they saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased so here we have the Son in the water being baptized the heavens open, and the Spirit of God coming down like a dove, and then the voice of God. And did you be- can you believe this? I think God has a a, a London accent. <laughs> you not you not find that in the verse? A voice from heaven said, "This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." You know what I mean? <laughs> so again, we can see see the concept of of Trinity. At work. But it's not easy to understand. Um, I was speaking with Peter last night. and We were saying it's, it's not an easy concept to grasp. And we were speaking about creeds. Creeds can help us to understand that. So I had a good look last night, Peter. And I had a little look this morning. Trying to find the best creed to look at uh, when it comes to Trinity. And the the Athanian creed. It's probably the best one, and this is what it says. Now, it's really simple, okay? So just listen, and then we won't have to speak about this anymore because it'll be nailed, okay? So that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-equal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, such as the Holy Ghost. And it goes on <laughs> for about another ten verses. <laughs> It's not, a, it's not an easy concept, but it's there. And we do need to understand that, that our God is made up in three persons. And all are God. They, they, they're not subject to one another. It, and it's really important that we understand and that we, we worship God because we need that trinity to work in our lives, in our faith. J.I. Parker said this, the most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. So it's really important that we actually, we understand this concept because it, it matters and matters a lot. Because it's in how we do things. When we pray, there's, there's a trinity element to it. Because when we pray, we pray to the Father, by the Spirit, and in the name of the Son. When it comes to salvation, it's got trinity all over it. Because um, in salvation, we are reconciled to the Father uh, by the atonement of the Son. And the Spirit of God dwells within us as a deposit. I, was, um, I went to Croatia um, uh, with, with uh, uh, a couple of friends of mine. I went out to, to, to meet the church out there and, and to get to know them. And we went for a meal with a couple who spoke no English whatsoever. Thankfully, her children spoke it better than I, than I can. So uh, we went for this meal and she translated everything. And, and, and as we were eating, she, she went on to explain that this was their traditional meal that they were having in Croatia absolutely delicious. And then, then she asked the question, what is your traditional meal? Where do you come from? <laughs> Trying to describe haggis. <laughs> so I said, oh, we, we have a traditional meal. And I said, we take this, the, the lining of a, a sheep's stomach and we take all the, the leftover bits of the sheep, like brains, eyes, hoofs, and all that. We mix it up with some oats. We stuff it in a bag and we boil it and she stood up and she walked round the table and she hugged me <laughs> she went we didn't realize you were poor <laughs> sometimes it's hard to describe something when you've never seen it to the ex- extent where you you know I mean that you know about it but you've never seen it Uh, So when Jesus came, when he came to describe God, no one had seen God, God the Father, like Jesus had. He was the only one who'd seen him. It says in in John 1, it says this, um, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself, God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus describes God, and he does it in the form of a story. And we all know the story as? The <laughs> 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 real matter is the prodigal son. Um, this, this is one of my favorite books. Um, I don't even know where I got this from, but it's been on my shelf for at least 30 years. And it's called The Story of the Prodigal Son. And it's a series of It's a series of sermons. Done by five. There's seven sermons done by five uh, speakers: uh, Moorhouse, Moody, Spurgeon, Aiken, and Talmadge. And absolutely fantastic book. How seven sermons can be so different, but yet speak about the same thing. I can never get to this quality. So if you if you get bored in five minutes, come and ask for the book. I'll just put it here. So Jesus uh, told a story, and he wanted wanted people to understand. What God was like. Because in the crowd, so people had travelled to see him. Okay, and in the crowd it was a mixed bag. I mean, looking round, we are we're all quite similar, aren't we? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like you, no. But 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 Jesus' uh, crowd hanging around with him, they, they come from, from from different areas of the country. Some had come from from um from down in Judea, they were the religious law. Some were in Galilee; they were the local law. But some came from um, from a little bit further away, uh, from the what they call the ten cities, which is a very Greek, non-believing part of the world. So they were there. The non-believers, foreign type people, were there. And also there was a, another group. There was tax collectors. These were the people. Who sold themselves out to the enemy, who took money from their own people, extorted money to give it to the enemies to lord over them. They were hated, absolutely hated, seen as traitors, and uh, they were there. But not only them, there was, um, as I said, sinners. We'd all come into that category. But when they spoke about sinners in this context, it usually meant those who were in the, in, in the, in the sex uh, business. Prostitutes. And so there's a real mixed bag. And someone came and said to, to Jesus, why are you hanging out with this crowd? And so Jesus said, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's not there. It's not the healthy who you need a doctor, but the sick. But he went on to tell some stories to describe what God was like. He told of a, a lost sheep where the, the shepherd leaves 99 to go and find a one. He talked about a lost coin where a woman cleans the house from top to bottom to find a missing coin. And then he spoke about this story, which we're going to look at together. He said... There was a man who had two sons. You know, the best, the best ever I've seen this done was I had a friend of mine uh, preach, and he he had some pictures. And I was going to do it for you today, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll leave that for him. But what he had is a man had two sons, and the picture of the man came on the screen, and it was a picture of Prince Charles. And he said he had two sons. One who was good, and one which was bad. And he had a picture of Prince William um, being good, and then he had a couple of pictures of Prince Harry not being so good, and he went off to a faraway land. (laughs) Where he squandered. Anyway, um, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically, this younger son went up to his dad and says, One day, you're going to die, and I'm going to get my inheritance. And to me, you're dead already. Just give me what what belongs to me. He obviously didn't have the same sort of dad as me, because I would have got what was coming to me. (laughs) But this father divides the property between them. Two sons. The older son would have got two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would have got one-third. It would have meant that he would have had to sell, to sell some of the property or, or to sort it out to give him a third of the money. Anyway, so it's not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He took what he had. And it was almost like a slap to the father's face and said, I'm taking what's mine. You're dead to me, and I am out of here. And he goes off and squanders his wealth in wild living. I always wondered what that meant, wild living. I've heard a few preachers over the years describe it in ways I used to think, hmm. I remember one guy telling me, he goes, oh, sin isn't fun. I thought, what? You're obviously not doing it right, mate. (laughs) But whatever, there is a consequence to it, isn't there? Where you, you, you waste your life, and then there's a price to pay. He wastes his life, squanders his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Everything was gone. He's in need. All that money that he had, all that promise, it's gone. All that hope that he had imagined would change his life forever is gone. What about the dreams that you had? What you'd hoped to do? We used to to sit in when I was in the youth group when I was a teenager. Our youth pastor came and he said, write down what God is calling you to do. How are you going to change this world? And we all sat and wrote things. But I remember when we were reading them out, someone said, well, I'm going to train as a doctor and I'm going to go to Africa and make a difference in this world. Some wrote other things like, you know what I mean? I'm going to look after children and give those who had no home a home. And everyone had something to say. About seven or eight years ago, I met up with my youth group and asked that question. Did we do the dreams? Did we fulfill them? No. Life caught up. And what they hoped to do never happened. He squandered his wealth and wild living. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. This is a shocking story if you're a Jew. This is as bad as it can get. This is like you've hit rock bottom. Everything you used to live for is gone, and now you're feeding the thing that you're told not to even go near. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. But no one gave him nothing. Sitting there hungry, hoping, longing to eat what the pigs are eating. When he came to his senses, when he woke up to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So you went up and went to his father. We all do this, don't we? When you know what I mean when you've got to apologize for something you practice, you practise in the car on Noah, oh I'm really sorry. Um, I didn't realise it was your cake, it was in the fridge, it was calling my name. I ate it. I was only going to have one slice. I'm sorry, I ate it all. Um, we, we, we practice. In the, oh, you can see it in the, this son. His, his son is thinking, "You here I am, I'm starving, but back home. Back home. Oh, my dad looks after his servants. Back home, they, they all get something to eat. They all get looked after. Here I am, starving to death, but I wish I could go back home. I can't go home as a son, but I could go home as a worker. I wonder if my dad would take me on. So he got up and went to his father. Can you imagine what state he would have been in? Because he, he wouldn't have had like a chance to have a shower and change clothes. That didn't happen. He would have gone home from feeding pigs. Probably would have gone home smelling. But the father also, oh, but while he was still a long way off, His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This story that Jesus tells wasn't originally his story. There was another story that was told very similar about a son, two sons. One went off the wild living. And when he came back, it says the servants stoned him to death. Could you imagine? That's what they're expecting. All this crowd. Yep, he's going to cop it now. And then Jesus does what he does brilliantly. Takes a story, makes his own, and puts that twist on it. But while you're still a long way off, the father saw him. Means the father was looking for him. Where no one else saw him, when he was hungry in the, in, in the field, feeding pigs, where he was almost invisible, now he is being seen by his father. He was filled with compassion for him, and he ran. No one ran back then. This man was in charge, obviously, of a big farm. He had servants. He wouldn't have ran, but he did on this occasion. Lifted up his, uh, whatever they wore, and off he ran up that lane. Didn't matter what it looked like. What mattered was his son was home. He threw his arms around him. Often wondered if those arms went around him, so if any servants tried to stone him, that him and the son would become one. And it would be hard to tell them apart. And he kissed them. Smelly. Stinking. He kissed them. Tony Campolo tells a story of a of a, a man who's traveling from one part of America to another, and he, so he gets on the plane, and there's this little girl who's, who's traveling by herself, and so the air students, she, uh, stewards have taken her to the plane, she gets put on the plane, and they look after her while she's on the plane. And said, she said she had a big bag of sweets, and all the way in that plane, she's stuffing her face with these sweets. And after a while, the air students came up and goes, can, can we get you something to drink? She said, oh, Coke. And she starts to drink Coke and stuff in her face with this. And you know what's going to happen. A little bit of turbulence of up and down and left to right. She was sick everywhere. And Tony Campolo was like, down her dress. It was in her hair. And you see it, the whole plane was like, ooh. And you see that. Uh, when they landed, the air student's stewardess took her off the plane and led her down towards the waiting family. And it was her daddy He was waiting. And see, Tony Campolo watched as he ran down the dad, scooped her up, spun around, and kissed her. And he's like, can you not smell what we can all smell? Love doesn't smell. Love doesn't care. This was his son home. His son had come home. And he kissed him. The son said to him, goes into this practice speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Whose do you think was the best robe in the house? It would have been his robe. He would have had the best robe and he took off or he gave, the servants took to him the best robe that belonged to the father and he covered that smelly piggy boy in his cloak. best cloak. And now he's covered by the father. We get covered by our father says that that when when we gave our lives to Christ, we are clothed by the Father. The things that we did wrong, Jesus took the blame of. And we are clothed in righteousness. There's a, a verse in Colossians 1. I'm just trying to see if it's in my notes. It says... It says, it says, look up yourself. <laughs> 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 Typical Thompson, you're not funny. Um, Colossians 1, 22. You know when you get asked when you come here in the morning and say, how are you doing? You all go, oh, we're fine. Okay, we're going to change that from now on, okay? Colossians 1 is going to change it for us forever. So when we ask, Colossians 1, uh, 22 says this. But now he has reconciled you to Christ physically and body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Holy and blameless are you because the Father has clothed you in righteousness. So when we ask next week, how are you doing? You could now all respond, go, well, I am blameless and holy. Thank you very much for asking. Okay, blameless and holy. Why? Because the Father so loves us that He has clothed us with His presence. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on Him, put a ring on His finger to show you Him, that everyone, that He is my Son. That he has my authority. That You know like in the olden days where they would put in wax seals. It was all to show that he belonged to things. He is no longer just anybody. He belongs to the, fa- uh, to the family. Put sandals on his feet. Why does this matter? What do servants wear on their feet? Nothing. They don't wear shoes. Only sons wear shoes no you're not coming here to work for me you're my son you've come home bring the fatty calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he is lost but he is found and so they began to celebrate meanwhile the eldest son was out in the field who was the eldest son represented as the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were seen as the eldest. And they were out in the field, and when, the, when he came and heard the, the music and the dancing, he heard the dancing. That must have been some party, is all I'm saying. Um, and he called to his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has uh, him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Come on, we all have this, don't we? And you're maybe not as Scottish as me, but uh, every wedding, someone falls out with someone. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it's like, ugh. and someone usually has to go and solve it. It's usually the you know I mean, the dad or the mom who will go out and go, come on, I know she said that, she didn't mean it. Come on in, let's, let's get this all fixed and sorted. And here is the father who goes out to this son. All these years I've been slaving for you and you never, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father, said, You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again. He was lost. And he is found. His father went out and pleaded with him. Begged him. Come back in. Come in. You know... It doesn't take long to become religious and start to look down on people that aren't as perfect as what we are. And here Jesus is saying, you know what I mean, we're family. Some of us are lost, some of us have been wandering for years. And we should celebrate when people come home. We should love and not judge, we should care. But here the Father, it's like this son is good but he's lost. He's lost in his goodness. He's lost in his religion. He has no relationship with the Father. He's as lost as the other boy. And often we can get lost like that. Because when it comes to to the Trinity, God the Father, it's about relationship. It's about how he he longs and loves us. It's that, that image of this Father waiting and hoping for his children to come home with arms held wide. And sometimes we can get lost as much in church as we can in the faraway country. Jesus described God, why did he describe him? Like a father wanting, wanting his children to come home. Are you far away? Have you wandered? Are you at home, obeying all the rules, but just don't have that relationship that you used to with your father? I just want you to know this. He wants you to come home. His arms are open wide, and he's ready. If you've never met met Jesus, this is all new to you. Come home. He's waiting to put you right, to make things right in your life. If you've done this for a long time, done the whole church, all your life, and feel distance from God, then come home. His arms are still open wide for you. Let's pray. I love, Father, that that's, that's your description. A father who's waiting, hoping, longing for his children to come home, arms stretched wide. A father who sorts, sorts his kids out, who puts them right. A father who cares. Sometimes our fathers have influenced us on what we think of God, but God is the good Father. You are so good to us. Perfect Father. So may we come home. So bless us this day. In your name. Amen. Amen.